friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And you join us together as we continue to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today we're in the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at this very familiar, well, Christmas story really, which is the response of the shepherds to the announcement of the birth of Jesus. And we'll be asking, can we use this passage as an example of a proper response to the disclosure of who Jesus is. So whether you're here for the first time or you've been here before, why not make the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life and subscribe wherever you get this podcast from. That way you need never miss a, never miss a single episode. That way you can make the decision to make the in-depth study part of the pattern of your daily life. And God, I am sure, will bless you by that. So with that said, we're going to drop back into the text and pick up exactly where we left off yesterday, which is Matthew chapter 2, verse 8. But do hang around at the end and I'll tell you lots of ways you can connect to this ministry and get the teaching resources around these studies that I do specially. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you at the end. Okay, today's passage is Matthew chapter 2, verse 8, where we see an announcement of the birth of Jesus, an announcement made to shepherds in on the hillside, and we'll ask the question, is there a proper response to the announcement of the birth of Jesus? But if you think about the whole principle of responding to the announcement of a baby's verse, there are different ways people do respond. One common response is for people to ask questions. People want to know the baby's name, maybe how much the baby weighs. Obviously, if the mother and child are doing well, and perhaps even things like who the baby looks like. Another customary response by many people in these days is to bring gifts, either before or just after the birth. Today, people like to see pictures of newborns as well, don't they? They want to catch a glimpse of the new arrival. And then, of course, there's that common response, an emotional response. Sometimes people even crying, crying tears of joy. Hearing that a baby has been born can bring absolute joy and delight to a family to the point of reducing them to tears, tears of happiness. Now, what I want to do is think about this principle and transport ourselves back to the first century and imagine being among the very first people on earth to hear about the birth of Jesus. While it has been announced that they would be born, the story has now shifted. This is the first time the announcement is going to be to a wider group outside the immediate family of the people involved. People who who would have heard nothing about this before. So we're going to look at it and look at their response. What I'm going to do today is read the whole passage that I'm going to unpack. So turn with me or listen as I read Luke chapter 2, picking up where we left off last time in verse 8. And in this passage, we're going to meet the shepherds. And it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord was around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, there was a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all of those who heard it marveled at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Okay, this is the passage, the main passage that carries the message of the birth of Christ announced to the wider population, beginning here with some shepherds. Now we can divide this passage into two parts, the initial announcement and the response of the shepherds to the announcement. The choice of the shepherds as they first hear about Jesus and his birth, what we see them do, how we see them react is significant. Their reaction, in fact, I would say is really quite remarkable. So let's look first of all at the announcement itself to these shepherds. But let me begin by asking why would the angels choose shepherds as the very first people on earth to hear the news of Jesus' birth? Now, there are several reasons suggested why this was the case. And it has to be said that they all have a certain degree of merit. Shepherds were known for their simplicity. They didn't belong to the nobility or the wealthy, the wealthy class or the educated class, the influential philosophers, rabbis of their day. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul tells us, not many of the mighty are called. God tends to favour the humble and the simple. Well, that's a comforting thought for most of us, I'm sure. So these were guys, simple guys, plain guys, who in effect were always on the move. They were living in the fields. And it is these people, these very people, that the angel chooses to reveal the great news, not just to of what's happening, but to, to offer it first to these regular well, I suppose you could just say ordinary folks. Now, on top of that, shepherds were known to be a little bit of, uh, shall we say, unscrupulous characters. They were known for their, for their sins, for want of a better word. And here's the remarkable part. These were shepherds in Bethlehem, it says. And that's a very clear key detail that's given. Now, Bethlehem is just six miles from the city of Jerusalem where the temple is located. The temple, of course, required animals for sacrifice, often consisting of lambs and sheep, 
amongst those other animals. So these shepherds, many believe, oversaw flocks of sheep, probably ones that would be used eventually as sacrifices in the temple. But here's where the symbolism comes. The angel announces the birth of Christ, of course, who himself is the Lamb of God. Here it is announced to shepherds who will understand more the significance of a lamb as a sacrifice for sin. For in a sense, that is their occupation. They would care for these innocent young lambs and at the same time, they would sell them and see them taken away to be sacrificed. So what was it like for these shepherds? Well, the text tells us that suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared before them and the glory of the Lord shone brightly around them. Other extra-biblical accounts talk of that night becoming brighter than even the noonday sun on a cloudless day. The impact on these shepherds would have been profound. They were not just startles. It actually says in the text that they are terrified, as anyone might be when faced such a, with such an overwhelming, well, a supernatural sight, really. Many people talk about God, but I suspect that most people most of us would actually be terrified if ever we were to encounter him face to face. And that's probably what's happened here to these shepherds. They were terrified, and upon seeing the glory of God around them, well, imagine that happening today. How frightening it would be for some people. But the message is clear here. They're told, don't be afraid. The angels are bringing good news. That's what they're told. In fact, tidings of great joy, which is not just for you, but for all people. Now, what am I going about to tell you is that this is this phrase, good news for all people. It appears in verse 11, and I'd like to explain it. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. These Jewish shepherds are being told that the Messiah has arrived, and that he is Lord. Now, when the New Testament uses the phrase, mentions Christ as Lord, it's not talking about a master. It's affirming his deity, his lordship. To a Jew in the first century, the Lord would have automatically meant God. God is here. So they were receiving the announcement. Let's be clear about this. They would have known what it was. They were receiving an announcement that there was the Messiah, who is also God himself, has arrived. And he is going to be a saviour of his people. The angel then gives them the sign. He says, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now that, at that point, doesn't sound like a unique plan, as all babes are wrapped in some sort of swaddling clothes. However, the twist here, which would have been unusual, is, is that they, they are told that this baby that they are to seek out is going to be found in a manger. Babies are not typically placed in feeding troughs for animals. They would, of course, know exactly what a manger was. So the key sign here to enable them to find the baby, this unique, special baby, the Messiah, in fact, is that he will be found in a manger. In a manger. And that's how they will know that this is the Messiah they find. And then it goes on, suddenly a multitude of heavenly hosts appeared, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to all men. Noticeably, the text doesn't say they sang, but it says they praised and said glory to God in the highest, and peace 
and goodwill towards men. We tend to sing that nowadays and there's nothing wrong with that. But the passage just talks about praising, which probably means that they were uttering these words. The message is about giving glory to God because of the fact that peace, peace at last, is going to come on the earth. Now, while the ultimate peace on earth we know will only happen when Jesus Christ returns, his arrival still will bring personal peace with people and their relationship with God. And when people within a community embrace Christ, then there will be peace. Well, there should be peace between those individuals. The Hebrew word for peace, shalom, here conveys more than just an absence of conflict. This is about a very wide-ranging peace, a peace that means a general sense of well-being. It could mean health. It could include prosperity. It could include security. But it's all about the whole perspective of living a shalom, happy, peaceful, and complete life. And it is that type of peace the Messiah, we were told, will bring. Peace with God and the potential for peace on earth to all men when he returns. Now this phrase, goodwill towards men, in verse 14, has led to some translation debates over the years because of the variation in some of the early manuscripts. The majority of manuscripts are in agreement with the reading, goodwill towards men. That's it, plain. The translates, the translation that's used in the Clean James Version, the New James, James Version, uh, and the vast majority of manuscripts use that translation. It is worth adding that about 150 years ago, two older manuscripts were discovered that were considered chronologically closer to the original New Testament text. And some of recent translations published since 1881 are based on those manuscripts scripts and they differ in their translation using the term peace to men of goodwill or similar phrases. Now these translations are refocusing and emphasizing God's favor towards people who have goodwill and intention and good intentions. But it has to be said the majority of manuscripts support the reading goodwill towards all men, all people which is implying that the Messiah, on arrival, brings God's favour and God's will and offers it to the entire human race, all humanity, good or bad, if they will only accept it and embrace it. Now, moving forward, the shepherd's response to this announcement, I believe, involves three things. There are three aspects to it. First of all, we see them immediately believe. After the angels departed, the shepherds quickly proved, acted on and believed the message. They didn't doubt, they didn't hesitate. Their faith in what had happened was immediate. They said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has come to pass, what the thing which the Lord has made known to us. They were convinced of, this, of these angels' message. They had immediate belief in it. The second thing we see them do is they immediately respond. It says the shepherds came with haste to find the baby. This implies that they got up and they acted swiftly on that initial belief. They didn't just believe the angels and then procrastinated or waited or questioned the message. They immediately went searching for the child straight away. 
It says they went far and wide. Then they went and they shared the news of it straight away. So the third thing they did was they also believed it, acted on it, but they told others about it as well. Upon, and upon finding Mary and Joseph and the baby, they didn't just keep this incredible news to themselves after that. Verse 17 towards the end says, When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. So their response was immediately to share the message, to share it with others. They didn't hide this incredible news even for a second. They let it spread as far and wide as it could. So in, in essence, the shepherd's response is characterized by their immediate faith, a quick call to action, a quick response, followed by a widespread sharing of the good news of the birth of Jesus to other people. And their reaction, I believe, is the proper reaction to the announcement to the arrival of Jesus. Their reaction serves as an example still today how we should respond to the message of the Messiah the good news of God's Messiah. We should believe, we should then act on it, and we should share that good news with others. Mary, if you remember, opted for a slightly different response. Mary, if you remember, said she chose to ponder these events in her heart. Her reaction demonstrated that she reflected and contemplated it in her heart, and she considered the significance of the Messiah's birth this response also may indicate her desire to give full credit and attention to the Lord, allowing only him to receive the glory. Ultimately, the shepherds, after witnessing the Messiah's birth, returned to their work. And it says they returned back glorifying and praising God whilst going about their daily activities. So their response also highlights the importance of continuing ongoing attempts in our lives to continue to glorify and please God in all aspects of our life, even if that includes one every day, one's everyday mundane work. So in summary, the shepherds, their response was immediate belief, hasty action, and then a widespread sharing of the gospel, continuing even when they went back to their ordinary lives. And I think that that should serve as a model as how every one of us should respond to the message of the Messiah. They demonstrate the significance of embracing faith, then acting on it promptly and sharing that good news with enthusiasm to other people and ultimately glorifying and praising God in all aspects of their life as they did it. God's greatest gift should awaken in us a sense of gratitude. Christian poet and writer Alexander Pope wrote in the 18th century about this. I'll quote him, he said this, Rejoice that the immortal God is born so that mortal men may live in eternity. Rejoice because the rich part of the universe became poor that he might enrich us. These shepherds responded immediately, spontaneously, even carried on responding in the humdrum of their daily lives and their usual work. Remember, this happened at night. These guys are out on the hillside pulling a night shift, to use the modern phrase, and they still, immediately, these happened, went about their business and uh, found the child and then returned praising God. And that, my friends, is the story of the shepherd. What did they do? They responded by believing 
And then they told everybody about what they saw and heard. They immediately went and sought him out. And what they told everybody what they'd seen and heard about these angels appearing and praising God. Okay, I'd like to finish by making a couple of observations about this passage. Firstly, you've got to hold these alongside the other group who were told about the birth of the Messiah, the wise men, the Magi. We heard about when uh, that when we worked through Matthew's account of these events, and I've also done some stuff about it in my art reactions on some of the paintings around these stories. So it's worth asking and just pausing for a moment, is there a difference between the way the wise men acted, the Magi, and the shepherds' response in how they responded to receiving the good news of the Messiah? In response, we see the wise men bought presents, uh, but in this case, we see the shepherds, what they bring to the party, so to speak, what they bring before God in response is a testimony of praise. Now, you see, there's a difference here, and the difference is appropriate. And that's because the wise men, the Magi, they were looking for a king. Do you remember that? So it was entirely appropriate for them to build, to bring gifts that were fit for a king. The shepherds, on the other hand, were not told anything about the Messiah being a king. Notice the text doesn't mention it. He is disclosed as being a saviour. So the appropriate response to the birth of a saviour, the appropriate response to any of us who has a saviour revealed to us is to simply praise that saviour and offer a testimony of faith in him. We too should have their faith, for he was born upon the earth he came down to earth so that we, you and I, shepherds there and us today, the whole reason he came, the whole reason to celebrate is that he came down so that we could be born from above. We too should then naturally, spontaneously want to tell everybody what God has done for us and praise God for it. And that should, in a sense, come out of us naturally. Now, I know in this day and age, there's a lot of uh, you've got to be careful at how you approach this, but you've got to put yourself in a position where you can acknowledge what God has done in your life because people can't change your personal testimony and what it means for you. And you know, the most appropriate time to do that sometimes is simply to credit God even when things are going bad. That's probably one of the most effective ways you can still praise God and still give a testimony of God as your saviour without sort of hitting people head on and, and, uh, and, and trying to convict them of their lives. Because you know what? By simply demonstrating and signaling to people that you know because you have been saved by God, because Jesus has saved you, that that means that you are safe and sound. Yes, but you are safe and sound no matter what, no matter what the circumstances you're facing today. And that's what they will listen to. That's what most people will listen to when they hear about the Saviour and they hear about God being praised. It's when someone says, in my difficulty, in my struggling, in my suffering, I can still Praise God. And I'll end on that note. I think that's the high point in which to leave it. I'll just close with a little illustration I find. There's a British church minister from the last century who tells the story of how he began to notice an uneasiness in his throat. He sometimes had difficulty swallowing and even occasionally stumbled over speaking. 
Soon after, his wife noticed he began to drag his leg a little. This is about 100, 120 years ago. The doctors found out, they didn't have a word for it in those days, but they found out that he had an incurable disease that was causing all his muscles to waste. We're familiar with those conditions today. At that time, they didn't know what it was. He was told that the deterioration would not stop, and that was, of course, that's how it worked out for him. He was told also that his voice would continue to deteriorate and his throat would fail to the point that he would be unable to swallow. Now, when he heard that, this guy, in his testimony, threw himself into his work for an organisation that he worked for that had just started. At that time, it was called British Home Mission. It later became known as the Baptist Missionary Society, and it exists to this day and is a big missionary society operating within the UK and abroad. Anyway, for this guy, it launched him off into a, a frenzy of activity, if you like, to build this, mis this home mission up and make it effective. But within a few years, he found that he could do virtually nothing physically. All he could do was write, and he could also pray. When asked about the predicament by a newspaper journalist, his response was, I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but just give me a regiment or a, pl or a platoon and I'll serve in God's plan in that way instead. But now I find myself that the only person I can man is myself, but all I can do is I know that I can at least still hold a pen. Shortly after, he lost the ability to speak and communicate altogether. But just a few weeks before he died, he wrote a letter to his daughter, and in it he said this, To wake up this day on Easter morning and have no voice to shout he is risen is difficult, it's hard. But to have a voice and not to want to shout he is risen would be far worse. Jesus has come, the announcement has been made, we have a voice, we can use it to celebrate what that means for us in our lives. Thank you for listening.